Well, welcome to the next episode of the Christ-Centered Cosmic Civilization, and we're still just trying to understand how or why there are so many angels in all the descriptions of the highest heaven around the throne of the Father. It always has 10,000 times 10,000, myriads and myriads of angels, hundreds of millions, hundreds of millions of angels, uh, in order to uh, carry out the will of the divine emperor. And that's the thing that we're teasing at at the moment. Why does he run his empire that way? Because as we've meditated on, we, there's that idea that in the modern mind, really just God does everything directly, personally, himself. And if we then maybe people say, well, yeah, that's it. The Holy Spirit does everything. I remember having a discussion with a guy and it was about why God has to be everywhere all at once. And um, we were just, I, we were sort of discussing what is meant by um, God, uh, the, the presence, you know, he's got equally present in all places simultaneously. and Or is the Father in heaven? But is it also true to say the, the Father is on earth? And we we're just talking about the presence of God in different places and things like that. And he made, he was a theologian, but he actually made the argument that God has to be present everywhere in order to do things because he has to, he does all the things that he does. So therefore, uh, if God is going to make anything happen, he has to be present everywhere in the universe in order to make everything happen. And that, this is going back like 20 years, this conversation, but it, 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 at the time, I was slightly um, puzzled by that because I thought that was a very kind of mechanical view of how God gets things done. But more so, as I've reflected on it in the in recent years, just the way that that there is absolutely no rule, room for any angels or even humans doing anything. Um, if if that's how God God does everything personally and by being actually present to do them let's let's, let's think about this um because what we're after is this view of this christ-centered cosmic civilization the divine empire the kingdom of god and all these episodes are just exploring what that means what that looks like in the bible and the way christians have understood that and thought that through and we're particularly in these early episodes just understanding some of the basic structure and mechanics of what the Bible seems to be saying about how the divine empire works and the structure of reality. Let's think of it this way. We thank the living God for providing our daily food. Whenever some, I mean, I, whenever we in our home have a meal, in fact, whenever we eat anything at all, one or more of us bows our head to give thanks for that. So we do that. That's absolute ground zero of Christian living, Provide, thanking the Lord God for providing our daily food. So we believe that the Lord ha has provided for us, but that food is 
I'm going to take a, a chance on this to say it is extremely unlikely that that food suddenly appeared in front of us, personally delivered or conjured up or manufactured by God himself, like the Holy Spirit, for example. The Holy Spirit didn't personally, instantaneously manufacture that food right in front of you. You sat down at a table um, and waited for the food to be delivered personally, directly by the Holy Spirit. And no, that food is, I'm going to say, most likely delivered through a long chain of other people. From the farmer, uh, through delivery people, to maybe to a local um, market, and then to a supermarket, and then to you. And even then, it might have gone via a delivery man. So the fact that the food is delivered through these agents does not make us any the less grateful to our Heavenly Father. We know that he provides for us by ruling over and arranging and sustaining the heavens and the earth to provide for us. And the same is, is surely true in every aspect of the heavens and the earth, in the seen and the unseen, in the earthly and the heavenly realms also, particularly think about it in terms of um, the unseen realms of where angels may be at work in an unseen way. So when we are encouraged and we feel encouraged or inspired or guided or protected, if we look through the Bible when people feel comforted or encouraged or guided or protected, the Bible really does seem to indicate that this is delivered by various angels under the direction and empowerment of the living God. And that was true even like Jesus is ministered to by an angel in the Garden of Gethsemane to encourage him. All around us, the heavenly hosts are about their work delivering the resources of the highest heaven to us in endlessly different ways. And and all the different, you know, whether it, we think about um, the weather, the, uh, the, the process of crops growing, all the different things that happen in, in the creation, it's, are, the, are, are they not, let me put it as a question at this stage, are they not administered by this huge angelic host who carry out and implement and uh, give expression to the rule of the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit. Because again, just that in one sense, um, Again, I just want to go back to that point that so often when I read about God's involvement with the world in modern literature, it's all as if it is all done personally and immediately, directly by, for example, the Holy Spirit. As if, the, and, and, and in, 
the modern mind, it's as if the Holy Spirit has taken over all the work that once included huge, a huge sort of doctrine of angels, like all the things that angels and intermediaries do. That's all kind of lost. I think it's, and as we, you know, in, in this podcast, we think about how there's a, like, it's as if over the past 300 years, serious understanding of the universe and the living God and, and, and really properly thinking about that according to scripture has, has all gone and been replaced by this incredibly two-dimensional situation. It's in one sense, it's as if we know that the heavens are filled with hundreds of millions of glorious and eminently capable angelic creatures but in practice there's nothing for them to do anymore and they simply seem to stand around in heaven admiring everything that the living god does on his own <laughs> um like whenever i see like historically angels are portrayed as being busy on earth and throughout the first heaven, second heaven, so on. They're busy doing things. But nearly always in modern artistic representations of angels, they're mostly doing nothing except kind of maybe worshipping a bit in in the highest heaven. But that's it. Or playing harps, for example, on clouds, like lounging around. And that is significant it's like we don't perceive angels as being busy because in deep down we don't think they do anything imagine here's an analogy imagine um, a man who runs a business man or a woman running a business think of two ways that the business might run in the first scenario we go through the business to speak to the staff. And each person we meet doesn't seem to be doing very much. When we ask the people in the shop front how they do selling to the customers, they all say that, in fact, the boss in charge does it all. They do all the selling, the, the boss. And um, the people in the shop front just watch in amazement as this boss uh, business owner does all the selling for them. Then we go to the warehouse department and again we hear how amazingly talented this business person is and how they, uh, they come back into the office after they've been doing all the selling at the front of the shop and they do all the stock taking, stock restocking work themselves. And they manage it all themselves at huge strength and organisational powers. Then we go into the accounts department and we hear a similar story. The business owner uh, comes in early each morning and sends out all the invoices personally, as well as managing the payrolls for each employee and everything. Even in the marketing department, we hear how this business person is just incredibly good at marketing and they do all the advertising campaigns alone and they just you know when they get in in the mornings the business person's been working all night 
and there's folders ready there with just reporting on how it's been implemented and how successful it is. So the general view in this company is that it's kind of an incredible privilege to be, um, in inverted commas, employed by such a boss. Uh, And, yeah, it's a great privilege, but all that they do is sort of watch this person do all the work, and then they're sort of like, wow, amazing. Uh, Look at that. They can do everything. Um, Wow, yeah. Uh, Okay. That's the first scenario. So impressive, the business person is showing that not only that they are capable of doing everything, but they in fact do everything. So it's impressive to watch, but I guess ultimately pretty, in a way, quite demoralising and meaningless for the people in inverted commas employed in that company, because in truth, they're not, they're not needed. They're not, the, 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 it's, they're an irrelevance, really, except to be a kind of admiring audience for the vast capabilities of the business uh, owner. Here's a second scenario. We hear about the same boss who is, let's say, they, they have just the same abilities and capacity to do everything in every department better than anyone who works there. Fair enough. But in this business scenario, the this boss spends the time training the workers to be good, passing on wisdom, equipping them, encouraging them as they do what uh, they're appointed to do. And they get help, wisdom, encouragement, support to do what they were employed to do. Um, yeah, I guess sometimes it can feel quite intimidating trying to do these jobs when this all talented boss is working with them, but they wouldn't swap it for the world because it's such a treat to work with someone who is so good with people, so talented, so able, and they are getting so much better and they feel meaningfully involved. And it's a tremendous privilege to work with somebody who believes in them and helps them and encourages them and to work with someone who can do so much but wants them to do so well is the greatest privilege of all. Now, of these two scenarios, which of these scenarios portrays this business boss in the best light? Which of them do we go away from and think, I wish I was working at that company? I wish I was working for them. Would we go, I wish, is it the first scenario where you're not really doing anything, but you're watching them do something amazing? That would probably be amazing for a, a day or a couple of days. But beyond that, you would feel useless, really. There isn't actually a role for you. But in the second scenario, you'd also be amazed at how amazing this boss is. But uh, what a joy to work with them to work for them and with them because they are interested in you and bringing out the best in you and and, and involving you in the business. See, in the second scenario, I think that that portrayal of of a business leader, they look much more glorious, much more impressive, actually, in that second scenario. And if you, you, I'm sure you understand 
the analogy there. The great challenge with the doctrines of angels and the heavenly realms and the kingdom of God and the divine empire is that in the modern era, these doctrines have been emptied of most of their content and almost all of their value. In the ancient world, in the ancient Christian world, angels filled all the space between the highest heaven and the lowest depths of the oceans. And there were all these kind of understandings of all the things that we can see uh, were being administered and run uh, by angelic hosts. And so, in other words, when you looked up into the night sky, a modern person looks up into the night sky and space is this thing that we just call space is considered to be a vast empty, dark, barren expanse that's like very hostile, very hostile. Like a, a and, it, and to look into that is to feel utterly little, vulnerable, meaningless. It's like looking into a dark abyss of emptiness. <laughs> um, in the darkness of space, no one can hear you scream. And it's like a vacuum. Space and vacuum. Those are the, some of the most common words used of the second heaven in the modern world. It's just disgraceful. Whereas for ancients and medievals, you're looking into like an enormous cathedral that isn't empty. It's highly populated with glorious, shining beings, stars that have this angelic quality to them, something we'll look at in later. And that it's not it's a place that makes you thrilled, thrilled to be part of the universe, not small and meaningless. So moderns look out into the universe and feel empty, small and meaningless and crushed underneath the weight of the, the empty vacuum of space. Uh, whereas in Psalm eight, there's a very different feeling. Look at the look at the universe and all the stars and the expanse of it. Why is human be why are human beings so important? So that David writes that looks out and thinks, wow, human beings are so important that all of this is displayed for our benefit. Why are we so important? And of course, the answer in Psalm 8 is, well, the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus. That's the answer to that. But that's always a test to look out. And is it that between you and the highest heaven, there's nothing, just emptiness? That's assuming you do believe in the highest heaven, of course. Um, Just emptiness. Or is it that you feel, wow, I'm looking up into kind of a vastly teeming, populated expanse of wonder, glory, light and life. It's a challenge. So in the ancient world, the heavens were not empty space, but a filled cathedral packed with glorious angelic beings, shining angelic stars and all the wonders of the church triumphant. Well, 
in a way, that's the mo- that's all that we need to do for this episode. But uh, we want to come back perhaps next. I think on our next episode, well, let's examine more about this second heaven, the expanse of the stars, and how to think about that, particularly in relation to the angelic host. And um, it's this idea again, like, let me just touch very briefly on this point about what we might nowadays, we just call it astrology. And astrology in the modern world is looking out at the, well, it isn't really, I mean, I remember uh, I met, I knew somebody when I was a student who got a job working as a, quote, the astrologer for one of the daily newspapers. And they were given a kind of little document on how to write the horoscopes. And uh, there were sort of little rules on, like, make sure that you mention at least one of the uh, star signs was to have um, financial success. And so another one was to have romance success. And there were kind of all these rules of how you were supposed to write them. Now, I knew and this person wasn't spending their time looking out at the actual stars and trying to discern wisdom from the stars. They just were making it all up. And we and that's what astrology is. It's a sort of re, nowadays horoscopes and things. It's um, It's a strangely narcissistic thing, the idea that all these incredible stars and planets and galaxies and everything, there is this intuition that it's got something to do with human beings, as Psalm 8 says, and that's right, and we'll come back to that and think why, why is that the case, and how, what, what does the Bible say about that? So the stars and the galaxies and everything are something to do with human beings, that's true, but it's a weird thing to go, and it's specifically about me or people born in the same month as me and what the stars and the galaxies are concerned with is whether i might get romantically successful today or this week or uh whether i might be lucky playing the lottery or whether <laughs> i don't know whatever it is that is the big problem with this thing to look, so people either look out at the star, uh, to, into the second heaven and see nothing of any significance at all just empty dark vacuum or they have this kind of weirdly superstitiously um trivial view that there's a kind of mystical will from the stars towards us uh, about incredibly like trivial temporal matters. Neither of those views of the second heaven the, uh, is, is, is adequate. Now, you might be thinking, well, what about the Magi? They were astrologers. They were stargazers. Yeah, yeah. That's a very different thing. And we will come and look at that in more, more depth. But really what we're trying to do then is get this bigger sense. The Bible speaks into these things, the meaning of the stars, the meaning of the second heaven, even what astrology was really about, is really about all these things. But that's enough for now. When we come back, we're going to have a a better look at that second heaven.